you know, we were all about earning trust by proving you deserve it. And for us, that meant proving it with a SOC too. We hire really talented people. The whole idea is surround yourself with people who are experienced, who have seen this before, who have been a part of something similar, as rare as it is. I personally think there's nothing better than giving your absolute best to a competitor, knowing they're giving you their absolute best. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague and now longtime co-host, Oren Younger. Hey, Oren. Hey, Glenn. And we're really excited uh, to welcome Adam Markowitz to the show today. Adam's the co-founder and CEO of Drata, which is a San Diego-based startup that provides companies with fast and efficient automated security compliance, which was once a painstakingly long and arduous process, and Drata is really helping streamline. Adam's a former rocket scientist, and he founded, literally, and he founded his first startup, Portfolium, in 2013, which created a network of over 5 million students connecting them to mentors and future employers. Six years later, Adam sold Portfolium for $43 million when he was just 32 years old. The first line of Drata's code was written in July of 2020, so the company is still quite young, but it has skyrocketed. Uh, GGV is super proud to have led Drata's $25 million Series A earlier this year, and Warren and I will talk a little bit about that, and has just announced a $100 million Series B financing, making the company a unicorn in an incredibly fast period of time. We're going to talk to Adam about this rapid growth and these financing rounds, as well as his background in astronautical engineering and how those roots put him on the path to Drata and how a young company like Drata is keeping up with just incredible momentum. Adam, it's really fun to have you. Thanks so much for joining us here on Founder Real Talk. Of course. Thank you for having me on. Your history, as I've alluded to, is kind of fascinating. You got a master's degree in astronautical engineering, not not the degree that many of our software founders have. You worked at Rocketdyne for three years, uh, and then you started Portfolium in the in the ed tech space. So you were on this specific path, and all of a sudden you decided to become an entrepreneur, making a big shift. Maybe talk to us a little bit about how that happened and and what led you down the path to get to to build Portfolium. It was definitely a big shift uh, or leap, I guess you call it. So I, I graduated undergrad at UCSD in 2008 with a narrow space degree. And even though it was a tough time, the market crash of 08, I landed my dream job working on NASA Space Shuttle Program. I had dreamt of being an astronaut since I was a kid. So there I was working on the rocket engines, actually launching astronauts to the space station. And I actually landed the job by bringing a portfolio of different engineering projects with me to my job interviews, really as a way to stand out and really prove my skills beyond just resume and GPA. It was kind of this life hack that stayed in the back of my mind until I finished grad school, got my master's in astronautical engineering. Truthfully, I, I just love that I had the word astronaut right in the name of the degree. Uh, <laughs> and then in, uh, That's so cool. In 2011, NASA retired the space shuttle program, and I got the golden kick in the butt. I learned to code. I started building what I was calling Portfolio, which was really to help students everywhere prove their skills with these e-portfolios. Uh, and that was the beginning of, of a six-year journey building a company ultimately became an EdTech company and eventually was acquired by Instructure, makers of Canvas. So for you, nothing today is really rocket science. But, but specifically, uh, uh, Portfolio and Drata are, are very different beasts. Were you running into security issues at Portfolio? Tell us what 
what prompted you to start Drata? So, so Portfolium hit this inflection point when we began selling software into colleges and universities. Uh, the schools would pay for a learning outcomes assessment module, which they needed to maintain accreditation. Uh, so this meant they'd use Portfolium to basically assess the learning outcomes in these student portfolios, uh, which also helped us grow the network really quickly into the millions of students. But before a university would provide student information, uh, they needed to need us really to provide them with the assurance that we had the proper security controls in place to protect that student data. And rightfully so. You know, every school we sold to needed that assurance. And it first happened for us with a game-changing deal, largest school system in the country. And they needed what was called the SOC 2 report. It's a report that comes at the end of a SOC 2 audit, where an independent CPA firm evaluates your security program. They audit you. And for us at Portfolio, the whole idea was, hey, prove your skills to employers with evidence that lives in your portfolio. Now we were being asked to prove our security posture evidence being a SOC 2 report. And the first time we were asked to produce it and we couldn't because we didn't have one, it, it just never sat well with us. So, uh, you know, we were all about earning trust by proving you deserve it. And for us, that meant proving it with a SOC 2. And so we realized just what was involved in getting ready for that SOC 2 audit. And then even more importantly, what was needed to maintain it, right? Because once you get compliant, you have to stay compliant. Uh, and we knew there had to be a better way using automation. That was, that was really the first spark for what eventually became Gerardo. Maybe you can you can double click on this. What, what does that mean to be SOC two compliant? Most companies are not security professionals. When you're a young company, you don't have a, a chief security officer, or sometimes you don't even have the capability of bringing on a, a security professional on your team. So tell us for a second, you know, what wh- what does that entail? Sure. Yeah. Saying saying that you're SOC two compliant is is really another way of saying your company maintains a SOC two report, which means you're you're audited annually. You're proving the design effectiveness of security controls that you put in place to satisfy SOC 2 criteria. And those criteria are defined in the AICPA's you know, SOC 2 standard. It's, it's a set of 64 criteria that you need to design controls to satisfy. And uh, for people listening, a control, if you're not familiar, a control is a policy, a process, or a tool that you put in place to keep you know, a bad thing from happening or to help ensure a good thing happening. I always use the bicycle helmet analogy, right? Wearing a bicycle helmet is a control to help prevent a brain injury in an accident. Uh, encrypting your customer's data is a control to help prevent unintended sharing or access to confidential data. Uh, the hard part, one of the many hard parts, is knowing what controls to put in place, ensuring they stay in place, and then, of course, proving both of those during audits. You know, sometimes across hundreds of controls, it's a massive undertaking, especially if you've never done it before. It's great to uh, better understand what you mean by a SOC 2 certification and audit. And you know, I think one of the really interesting things that I've learned working with you is that many, many companies need a SOC 2 audit. And maybe you could talk to us a little bit about why. Like, it seems like this is helping drive sales for your customers. Talk to us about why there's so much interest now in getting SOC 2 audits and therefore so much interest in your, your product at Drata. Yeah, we noticed it ourselves, right? Selling into college universities back at Portfolio. Um, and from a, a two and a half year stretch, we sold into... 400-ish schools. And in the earliest days, this is way, way back in 2017, it was something at the tail end of a, of a sales cycle where you know, a CIO would come in and ask for that SOC 2 report as a way to prove we could be trusted with their data. But over that two-year stretch, we noticed it going from this just nice to have, almost competitive advantage to have one to just table stakes, bare minimum. Um, it actually told schools, in our case, schools, who not to do business with other than the way around if you didn't have one, right? And so we kind of witnessed that firsthand and it coincided with just an explosion of SaaS, everything moving to the cloud. And then 
with everyone being remote, just kind of everyone's risk exposure, you know, all extending into the living rooms of their homes. Um, so it's not this perfect storm timing wise. And we were on the front lines witnessing it happen. And from our peer view as a, as a fast growing startup, we said, this is going to affect companies like us, maybe more than anyone, because you don't have the time or the resources or expertise to go do this. And yet it's now being demanded by the market for even companies that are early, early stages, you know, startups. That was the initial kind of onus for us. And we were our own customer. That, that, was, that was key um, for us to develop this empathy that carries now for all of our customers and prospects. Orrin and I can, can attest that if we look across our portfolio of, of companies at GGV that sell to businesses of any size, enterprises, mid-market, even small companies, like everybody needs and is asking us, hey, who do I go to to go get you know, SOC 2 compliant, and there, there's other certifications as well. And obviously, we make a lot of referrals to Drata, and you guys are very good at, at, at closing those customers and helping them get SOC 2 certified. What's it like working with a ton of young companies? You know, obviously, you're, we'll talk about it, but your, your, your customer base is starting to grow. But, you know, you got a lot of younger companies that you're helping quickly mature. What, what's that like? In short, uh, it's, it's incredibly rewarding uh, and motivating, right? We just, like I said, we had just have so much empathy for our customers because we were in their shoes not long ago and, and we solved this problem for ourselves. We continue to still solve it for ourselves because we're our own customer today. I just, I think sometimes markets or ventures look great on paper, but unless you truly felt the pain that your customers are in, it's almost impossible to have that same level of empathy. And that's really what drives us to you know, solve their problems with great products. So that comes through in. Yeah, everything, right? How we build product, how we sell, how we onboard and support our customers. It's, um, it's, it's really key um, to the point where we're, you know, when our customers get their SOC 2 report, right? We're, we're shouting it from the mountaintops right alongside them as if we're a part of their team because uh, it's, a, it's a big milestone and it unlocks new opportunity for them. So watching them grow very, very quickly after getting their first SOC 2 report, it's, it's exciting. And then I would say after the high fiving is done, Drata truly shines because now you have to maintain that SOC 2 report and that continuous automation and monitoring is, is really that what drives the long-term value. Do you think that after SOC 2, after people got audited, now they can sell, what comes next? You know, starting, I'm sure, with a checkbox because they need to sell. But is that, have you seen this drive any behavioral change in the, in the mindset of the startup? Absolutely. And that's extra rewarding as well um, because our customers understand that this really isn't just a check-the-box activity. It could be looked at that in a short-sighted way in some cases because it's usually a, a deal blocker. It's usually in the way of some big deal closing or a customer churning. Um, so it's great. But the fact that you now have continuous automated monitoring of your security controls and alerts and notifications when gaps form, it helps keep you secure, which is, which is really key. You know, we always say it's, it's one thing to show someone your, your report or your certification and show you know, at this point in time, we were compliant, but that, that, was, that might have been six months ago and the auditor's not coming back for another six months. So what's going on today? I want to be able to prove to my customers that we stay secure for them. And that's what Drata lets them do. That's awesome. And, and do you see Drata as, as a tool that continues with the company as they grow? You know, at some point, they're going to bring somebody to tell them how to do security and a professional that helps and has some experience with SOC 2 and other compliance standards, is that Jada is, is no longer relevant or how, how do you guys see it? No, great question. Um, so yeah, as, as our customers grow and mature, or we're now working with, with larger companies, it's, it becomes a system of record for the security professionals to live within. So as a, as a security 
owner within a company, I could do real-time reporting you know, internally to my board or externally to customers on exactly the real-time effectiveness of our security controls, our real-time security posture. Um, also, for these annual audits, um, SOC 2 being an annual audit, um, instead of manually collecting evidence throughout the year of all these controls, it's happening automatically. So I'm now saving hundreds of hours a year on my compliance team or, or early security folks that can be better spent elsewhere instead of taking screenshots or, or living in spreadsheets like they used to. So Drada has been around for 10 months or selling for 10 months and you're growing 70% month over month. And just for, you know, for audience listening, that's not, you know, one going to three, going to 10, you have, you have hundreds of customers using the platform today, but with this such fast growth, there's a lot of challenges how do you maintain the balance between hiring people, keep selling, innovating, and, and you know, frankly, not falling behind in terms of innovation? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I, I, I guess I'd be lying if I said I had it all figured out. <laughs> we continue to surround ourselves with great investors like you all, advisors. We hire really talented people. The whole idea is surround yourself with people who are experienced, who have seen this before, who have been a part of something similar, as rare as it is, people who have been a part of this kind of growth and the speed, they want to be a part of it again. And that helps us continue to attract just top, top talent uh, and really getting out of their way. That's another key. I think culture plays a huge part here in staying focused. You know, we stick to our core values, our core principles, things that allowed us to even do what we did over the last 10 months. We need to make sure we continue to maintain those because that really, that's what got us here. We've already talked about empathy, how much, how much of a role that plays and, and how we build product. Trust is at the center of everything. So these are our values. I mean, there, there's others, but this is you know what we look for and how we hire, how we interview candidates to, to find folks that match these same core values because that's key, um, especially as you're growing so quick. As Oren mentioned, you guys have really shot out of the gates incredibly fast. In fact, we've had the good fortune of working with some really fast growth companies, companies like HashiCorp, Slack, to name a few that came out of the gates with incredible first years. And you guys are rounding into your first 12 months of selling product, growing as fast or faster than just about any company we've ever seen, which is really remarkable. And it's, it seems like, you know, you, you kind of, you, you operated in stealth mode before we got involved and curious, like what, what led you to decide to do that? How it relates to, you know, the company mission? Was it valuable to do that? Some, some founders, you know, struggle with what should I say in stealth or when do I start talking about what we're doing? Do I do that right away or do I wait until some, some specific moment? So curious, curious how that all came together. Sure. Yeah. And I apologize. My, uh, you might hear my son in the background there. He wants to answer this one. Yeah. He's, he's all about it. He probably do a better job than I do. <laughs> so for, for an MVP, like we, we had our own internal bar for where we wanted to be, right? I, I, every company kind of has their own definition of MVP. For us, we said Drada has to be able to take us from scratch to SOC 2 audit ready without leaving the app. So we had it actually pretty well defined, which was nice. We also had just some pure principled milestones we wanted to achieve that spoke to our core values, trust being front and center. Like we were not going to launch publicly without having our own SOC 2 report and without having used our own product to get it. It was just a corner that was not going to be cut. Um, so we were ready in December of last year to actually launch, but we didn't until January 15th. And that was, that was torturous because <laughs> there was so much opportunity and the conversations we were having with prospects while we were in stealth were really tough, right? Earning trust when we didn't even have a live marketing website. But we told them, honestly, we, just, we weren't going to cut this corner. This was the first of many corners that 
could we cut? We just weren't going to. And that decision did really help us earn their trust and, and kind of build these initial bonds with our earliest customers. There's lots of different schools of thought on MVPs. I think startups have a reputation for moving fast, breaking things, fail fast, learn, iterate. A lot of this is just well-earned badges of honor, but, but every company is different. Every market's different. Again, some corners I don't think should be cut. And long-winded way of saying you kind of have to figure out the best, best approach for your own company. I don't think there's any one right or wrong way here. Makes a ton of sense. And, and honestly, you know, when we uh, first met you and, and spoke to a bunch of customers and prospects, it was still, you know, very early on. You were just a couple months into selling. We already got the sense from the folks that were working with you. They really trusted you and believed in your product, even though it was still a young product. So for you guys, it seemed like, you know, waiting that extra couple of weeks and really making sure you polish the edges off and could use the product yourself was, uh, was a great strategy. Torturous, but well worth it. <laughs> There's no doubt you guys are on top of your game and have become an, an industry disruptor in uh, compliance automation. And so, you know, piggybacking off of Warren's question around growth and how you're keeping the wheels on the on the bus as you guys are driving down the highway at such incredible speed. How how are you dealing with the the market itself and the dynamic in the market? There are other players that have uh, been in this market a while, and you guys have obviously hit it hit this market by storm. Just curious how that how that's worked into your strategy and. Anything you could tell us about what that dynamic is like? Sure. Yeah, we, we've talked already a lot about culture, the empathy for our customer, being our own customer. These things, you know, again, they force you to just continue to innovate, continue to deliver for the customer. And, and that's going to continue to serve us well. Uh, but there's, there's more here at Drata. I think you both, I mean, our investors and, and those close to the company see it more than most, but we have another core value that we look for in folks. Uh, and that's just a competitive fire. We're a competitive bunch, to say the least. I, I personally think there's nothing better than giving your absolute best to a competitor, knowing they're giving you their absolute best. Like No foul play, just elite competition. I think it brings out the best. And ultimately, your customers, the market's better served because of it. Um, and then when I hear things like, you know, on top of your game, and this is going to be me like opening up a little bit here into the competitive psyche, but I grew up in a little north of LA, lifelong Laker fan. I grew up watching Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest competitors in any sport all time. Before they even called it Mamba mentality, like I was fully embracing the competitive monster this guy was. And uh, what I loved most about following his career, when he was at the top of his game, there's no doubt he was the best in the world at what he did. And yet he was still working harder and training harder than anyone else. When you have the most talented person working the hardest, they're not competing against anyone. They're competing against themselves. They're pushing themselves harder than anyone else is going to push them. And that's just ingrained, I think, in our company's DNA. We're going to continue to push ourselves harder than anyone else can. And, and our customers are going to win because of it, because we're not going to stop innovating. This one is, a, is an important one for me. At Drata, you decided to bring on a chief security officer. And as a former uh, chief security officer, you know this is a question that keeps popping up and I have to answer it for my portfolio company, for, but others. But you know, curious you know, what, what made you decide to bring somebody so early on in the game? Startups today you know, know that security is important, but in many cases, they struggle to make the investment and to prioritize this is a senior person, this is a mid to senior engineer. So how did you, you know, make that in decision and how is it working out for you? Yeah, again, I don't think there's any one size fits all solution here for, for companies or startups. There's a lot of variables to consider um, what kind of market you're in, the type of data you're storing or processing. I think the skill set of the existing team and leadership, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. But for us, hiring a well-respected leader in security and compliance, given what we do, the products that we build, it just seemed like a pretty easy and, and obvious decision. Not easy to execute on, but just the decision itself was, was 
it's fairly obvious. Um, you know, we were fortunate to be introduced by by our friends at GGV to the Silicon Valley CISO Investor Group, SVCI. And so we were able to bring on some incredible investors in the very field, obviously, in which we operated, and the very persona that which we sell to. Um, and then we were fortunate enough to meet our CISO, Ross Hoffman, Hossman, who uh, started with us back in, in July. It's been fantastic. for, And again, everything comes back to our customers right at the center. We're just so customer-obsessive. It's for those customers that don't have a CISO or security leader, uh, the software is going to help them execute on their security and compliance programs, of course. But having resources internally here within our own company, like Ross on the security side, or Troy Fine, who's conducted over 500 SOC 2 audits, it helps us, one, it helps us build better product ourselves, but then also helps us better support our customers. So again, easy decision in our case, um, but it kind of depends on, on a lot of things for, for other companies. So you see the investment working out both internally and externally. Is that is that fair? Very fair. Very glad to uh, make that introduction and, and, and things like, things like that that is that is working well. So you just announced your your Series B and, and Glenn touched on it. This is making you the first compliant automation unicorn. Congrats! How did you think about raising this round and, and you know looking into your crystal ball for a second? Uh, where do you see Drada in five years? Thank you. I mean, yeah, speed and execution are, are themes we really gravitate towards. So so being the first to any milestone is is definitely rewarding. You know, that said, we view fundraising as a tactic, not a goal, right? We, we don't start a company with the goal of raising a lot of money. The, the goal is to build an incredible company. And fundraising is a necessary tactic to accomplish that. We obviously, we've been talking about it. We've, we've been fortunate to work with incredible investors, just like yourselves, help us accelerate the timeline. And often you need that acceleration to even reach the goal. So you know, for us, we're, we're on a path to helping tens of thousands of companies put security compliance on autopilot. The way in which our product does that it's going to open up even bigger opportunities that we'll be able to expand into over time. You know, all of this really sits on top of a real-time system of record of a company's security compliance posture. So, you know, Drawed in five years is a massive company. It is that system of record. Numerous product offerings delivering value in in ways that our other solutions just won't be able to. There's also going to be thousands of employees and, and lots of happy shareholders. Well, that's a good vision. I like that. And uh, I can tell you, we're we're already very happy shareholders. So uh, to, to hear that you think you can make us happier over the next several years—that's uh, Oren's. Even even Oren is cracking a smile, <laughs> which we know is hard to do. But we we want to uh, want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your past. If you search YouTube under your name, uh, an American Ninja Warrior, you will find a video. That is right. You were you were on American Ninja Warrior. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever talked to uh, somebody who who has that distinction before, and I feel honored. You trained for that back uh, pre-Drata days, maybe even pre-Portfolio days. I think it was 2012. How were you able to balance like being, literally being a rocket scientist and at the same time being an American Ninja Warrior? I mean, the, the, the folks on that show are in – you talked about speed and execution. Like this is, this is uh, athletics at its absolute finest. So just curious, like what drove you to do it, what you learned from it, and if it's, uh, car- you know, any any lessons carry with you today? No matter how many times it gets talked about, I think my face still gets red every single time. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the competitive fire. I mean, no one pushed me to do that. That, that, was, that was me pushing myself because the first time I saw that show, I thought to myself, that's really cool. I, I think I could do that. And then uh, challenge myself to prove it. The rest was kind of history. I think... Um, yeah, just maybe some self-awareness there and just embracing that competitive monster. But there's also some, some healthy humility uh, as well because some fun falls and bruises training for that. And, uh, it's good to literally be knocked down a peg or two every now and then. So healthy all around. 
Did you ever beat the wall? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we built our own. Um, it was fun. I mean, we had more fun, I think, training for that show than actually being on the show. <laughs> it's like uh, like you mentioned Kobe Bryant, those hours in the gym. That was, oh, yeah. that was you on the course. Enjoying the process, the journey. That's right. Pretty incredible because my ability, you know, I look at that show and the people on it and I'm like, yeah, I cannot do it and continue with my day. <laughs> I'll, I'll start, you know, building training course and, and uh, trying to prove to myself uh, I, I guess that's 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 uh, what makes you a, a great founder. Maybe I hope so. So, Adam, you're obviously an incredibly hard worker, and you know you don't seem to slow down and keep taking new challenges. How important to you is to have a work-life balance, and how are you able to maintain one? So, I've, I've never really liked the phrase work-life balance. Uh, I get that it's a thing. It just always kind of seemed to me that it implied you're you're not really living when you're working, which doesn't sit well with me. My, my dad always said, if, if you enjoy what you do, you're never going to work a day in your life. Another reason I'm not a fan is I think balance is just subjective, right? Like what might look unbalanced to some might work perfect for others. You know, startups are a grind. They're tough. They're meant to be tough. That's what makes them great. You know, if they were easy, everyone would do it. Um, all, all that said, though, I mean, I, I am very lucky. I have an incredible support system. My wife is amazing. She reminds me daily that it's not the amount of time we spend together. It's the quality of the time. So the hours themselves are unbalanced in terms of work life. It, it doesn't necessarily mean the quality is unbalanced. And, and that that means a lot. You started the company after the pandemic had begun. And so by definition, you guys have had to build a remote capable culture. Any lessons learned from that? You think it makes you a stronger business over time or, or if you, you know, start again, would you, would you wish that you had a different circumstance to start the company? Are you glad you had this one? I think, I think it's another area in which we were fortunate. You know, day one at Drata, there was a group of us that had all worked together for years. There was just a muscle memory and, and a trust. So really, we hit the ground sprinting, even during a pandemic year with everyone being remote, you know, no getting to know you period, just just go. The fact that we were all on Zoom was a bummer because we, we just enjoyed spending time together, but it didn't slow us down or prevent us from having fun and definitely didn't prevent us from you know establishing this culture and then all based on these values that we've been talking about. I, I think repeat teams are always a competitive advantage, but during once in a thousand year pandemic, maybe even more so, I think we're proof of that. We've talked a lot about speed. We're moving to the speed round here. So you're in the hot seat and uh, we'll just ask a, a couple more questions and ask you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Do you have a book or article that you recommend for other founders, Adam? Relentless by Tim Grover, trainer to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Also ex- extreme ownership, for, especially for leaders and then founders, the retired Navy SEAL Jocko Willink. Awesome. I haven't heard about Relentless. I'm going to check that one out. Adam, on, on LinkedIn, you have 17 endorsements for ping pong. What is that about? I'm really good at ping pong. <laughs> and so I think, uh, yeah, we had a ping pong table in our office at, at Portfolio. And uh, one of those things, like, I think it's in the blood. You've just been good at it from, from an early age. That and arm wrestling, I think we're just like genetically predisposed to just being good at certain things. Well, Adam, I, I am thrown down the gauntlet, not on the arm wrestling. But, uh, <laughs> next time we're together with a ping pong table. Let's do it. And tennis too, I hear. Yeah, my uh, hours and hours on the tennis court has put me in a decent position on the ping pong table. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll write the next recommendation then. Okay, gauntlet thrown. Last question for you. We're going to throw a little audible here. You said that uh, from an early age, you you had a lot of interest in aeronautical engineering and and the idea of being an astronaut was really appealing to you. What do you think of uh, the recent phenomenon of people going up in space on these commercial ventures? And do you want to do it someday? Yes, 100%. 
Um, my, the first thing is maybe just a little bit of jealousy when I see it, when I see these launches, but no, it's, it's great. It's, it's what I always kind of hoped would happen. And now watching these launches with my kids and then seeing their faces light up, it's, it's exactly what got me, you know, so interested in, in, in that spark lit early. So I'm all for it. I'd hop on tomorrow. All right. Well, uh, after you build Drata into the, uh, the world beating compliance automation company that will become, maybe, uh, there's yet another chapter to the story. We'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. Adam is not kidding by building uh, Drata to be a rocket ship. Here, here you go. <laughs> there you go. Always want to be an astronaut. Now it's just a different kind of rocket. Well, it certainly is a different kind of rocket, but it is. it has been a rocket nonetheless. Adam, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today on Founder Real Talk. Speaking for Oren and the, and the rest of our partners at GGV, I can tell you that we are just incredibly, incredibly happy and grateful to be your partners in this amazing ride at Drata. Thank you so much for uh, all that you're doing and for joining us today on Founder Real Talk. Thank you. Likewise. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social, and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, HelloBike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat. 